Well, good morning. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. Um, so I have a teaching background, so I like to use props. But uh, this is what Pastor Pete does for f- his favorite people. He adds things. He, he said, happy birthday, Jesus. I don't know if the hot sauce is in, uh, or in our, this, his muskrat. So I don't know. Here you go, Pastor Pete. <laughs> messing up my props. He's always messing up everything. So how are you all this in my office and stuff like that is what I mean. He's, he's gotten a lot of things in place here at church. But me personally, he's messing with me all the time. You all know it. You've seen it on Facebook. Yes, see, and, and his family knows exactly what I'm, you have the same problem. Amen. I, I got another amen. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. So here we are. We're about to head into a new year. I'm already turning the corner. Christmas, we start thinking New Year's. And so I'm just wondering, how many of you have made New Year's resolutions? You've got to raise your hand. You've made New Year's resolutions. Okay. How many of you, you, you haven't yet because we still have another week, but you're going to make a New Year's Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you, you are not going to make a New Year's resolution? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you, raise your hand if you think it's stupid to make New Year's resolutions? They're just stupid. A lot of hands on that one. Wow. Okay, how many? Raise your hand if you hate it when Pastor Randy is always asking you to raise your hand in a message. Uh Uh-huh. And raise your hand if you don't raise your hand in defiance. You're not raising your hand because you're defying me, right? Right? Resolutions. Resolutions. So whether we make them or not, I think for most all of us, what it is that we're looking for, what we're wanting is something that we sense that they can provide for us, and it's this opportunity for a fresh start in life, right? The chance, it kind of gives us the chance, we feel that we can make some changes in certain areas of our lives where we just feel like there needs to be some improvement, you know? And I think really when we think about our lives, we tend to think about life, our lives, in terms of these compartments. You know, we have these different areas. Sometimes you'll see, you know, on, online or something, there'll be a wheel, the pie, and you have these different slices, these different parts, these different compartments of life. And so we're just convinced if, you know, if I can make some improvement in one of these compartments of my life, then the hope is that this improvement will lead to a better life. So let me give you an idea of what I mean, okay? Uh, let me see, I gotta put this, I gotta save this one for later. Okay, let me do this, okay. Relationships, pretty big compartment of our life, isn't it? And in this compartment, we'll make resolutions, things like I'm going to spend more time with my family this year, or I'm going to learn to communicate better with my spouse this year. So that's one really important compartment of our life. And another important compartment, we make a lot of resolutions in this compartment, body and health. You know, so how many of us were going to like, I'm going to lose 10 pounds this year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start eating right. I'm going to start working out at the gym. So, you know, we make resolutions like that with that compartment in life. And then let's see, we've got this one. We've got our job and our career. So we frequently, you know, have some resolutions in this department, in this compartment. And so we may say that, you know, this year I'm going to work hard and I'm going to get that promotion this year. And then let's see, we've got... Oh, this is a good one. We got the financial compartment. Oh, that's a heavy one, isn't it? Or we hope it's heavy, right? (laughs) And we make some resolutions in here with things like, I'm going to get out of debt this year. I'm going to save X amount of money this year. 
Let's see what else we got in here. Now, oh, uh, uh, I'm getting down there low there. This is a compartment of our life that's important too, our social life. And so sometimes we may feel like, man, I've been, I've been working too hard, so I got to pay attention now to my social life. I need to have some fun and some relaxation. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take up a new hobby or I'm going to buy me a kayak, you know, things like that. And then, let's see, lastly, what do we got in here last? Ugh. Ugh. Number six compartment. We've got this thing called spiritual stuff, you know, the, the spiritual side of our life. And uh, for many of us, we'll, we'll make these resolutions then because we want to get make some improvement in this area. So we may say, I'm going to read my Bible more this year, and then I'm going to pray more, and I'm going to make sure I'm consistent with church, or I'm going to get more involved, all kinds of stuff like that, spiritual stuff. And we're just kind of convinced if I can improve one of these compartments of my life, well, then I'll have a better life, right? But here's the big problem. It's a pretty big one. The problem is the statistics. Are you familiar with the statistics? They look something like this. This is what I recently uh, Googled. Within one week of making a resolution, only this is the percentage of success. 75%, so 25%, a quarter have fallen off, you know, and, and we can just see it's a downward slope. So we get all the way down. Within one year, only 9% of the people who've made resolutions tend to be successful. That's not good statistics, is it? So the statistics are definitely a problem for us, but folks, there's an even bigger problem what we that we have, and, and that problem is a problem of perspective. You see, I think we're looking at all of this the wrong way. This idea that there's a compartment in our life, for instance, called spiritual stuff. I mean, really? I'm going to give you a little secret here, okay? Here's, here's my secret. I've discovered this. We are better off getting rid of this little compartment in our lives. Just, just be done with, with this thing. You know, trust me, we are all a lot better if we just get rid of that one altogether. But that's not all. You see, we, we need to replace that with something else. And what we need to replace it with is a new perspective. You see, we need to turn our thinking around on all this. See, spirituality, it isn't just one little compartment of our lives like everything else, you know. It is our life. It is our life. Folks, we can't actually compartmentalize our lives because everything in life is spiritual. All of life is spiritual. You see, we, we got to start seeing it the right way. Our social life, this is spiritual. Spiritual stuff right there. And uh, this, our finances, like it or not, these are spiritual. Spiritual. Our job, career, it's spiritual. Our health, bodies, spiritual. Relationships, spiritual. All of it. We cannot compartmentalize our lives because it's all 
spiritual. Life is one big spiritual experience. Now you might think, where do you get this idea from, Kim? Where does this perspective come from? Well, it comes from where else would it come from? Scripture. Scripture. You see, we read in Acts chapter 17 how the Apostle Paul, he tried to explain this very truth uh, to a group of Greek philosophers in his day. And it says in Scripture in chapter 17 of Acts, it says that he actually stood up in this place called the Areopagus. It's hard to say. And this is what he said to these folks. He said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious, religious people, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found an altar with this inscription. It said, to an unknown God. So Paul says, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. So listen to what he says. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if, as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this. Why did he do this? He did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. And then he goes on, key words. He says, for in him, this one that he's proclaiming, in him we live, in him we live, and we move, and we have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now that's how Paul explained it to this group of Greek philosophers in his day. But I, but I think if Paul were alive today and he could speak to a group of, let's say, Fredericktonians or Walkersvillians or Thermontonians or, you know, whatever, he might say it something more like this. I need a drink of water for this one, okay? It's important. He might say it like this. People of Frederick and all those nearby, I see that you are interested in spiritual things, but you don't realize that your whole life is spiritual. The God who created the entire universe, he also created you. He's the one who gives you life and breath. You live and you move and you have your existence in him and through him. You come from him, which makes you a spiritual being. One who was created to live forever, to continue on to the next realm called eternity. You're not spiritual because of your spiritual or religious activity. You are spiritual because you come from that which is spiritual. The living God and the creator himself. New perspective. Now, just in case it still hasn't clicked with you yet, and you're not sure what I'm saying, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you the real simple version now. This is the Kim version, okay? This is how Kim would say it, okay? I, I'm gonna, this is more like an illustration, okay, an example. I, Kimberly K. Kiesacker, am a West Virginian, and I'm very, very proud of it. This is a new hat I got yesterday. <laughs> Even though I don't reside currently in West Virginia, I, I live in Maryland, and I no longer have a recliner or a refrigerator on my front porch because my HOA won't allow that. <clears throat> <clears throat> throat> 
and, I, and I, am, I am not poor, illiterate, or strung out as Bette Midler would think. Just Google that one. That's current news right there. Even so, I am a West Virginia through and through. Why? Because I'm the offspring of two West Virginians, Daniel Boyd and Wilma Dean. I'm not a West Virginian because of what I do or what I don't do or what I wear or how I talk. I know, Pastor Pete. I am a West Virginian because I'm the offspring of West Virginians. I can't change that. Now, does that make more sense to anybody? Does that help? Okay, anyhow. Scripture tells us that we have been made by Christ and we are made for him. And it also tells us that we've been made in his image. So we've been created with this physicality, but we are far more than physical beings having some spiritual experiences in life. Someone once said that we are actually more like spiritual beings having a physical experience. So we may be living on this earth in these physical bodies, but that does not make the experience of life any less spiritual, every aspect of it. And, and think about it this way too. What happens when we die to our physical body? Does this body go with me when I die? No. What leaves the earth and goes to heaven is the essence of who we are. And it's a spirit, not a body. We will ultimately receive a new kind of body. It's called a resurrection body that we'll get at the second coming of Christ. But at first, it's just spirit. So think about this now. Philippians 3.20, the apostle Paul says this. He says, our homeland is in heaven. Other versions say our citizenship is in heaven, but I love this. Our homeland is in heaven. That's home. There's a book that Pastor Randy has often recommended. It's called Imagine Heaven. And in it, Pastor John Burke, he shares many stories of people who've had near-death experiences. And he says this theme that runs through so many of these near-death experiences is this, this overwhelming feeling of being home. Crystal was a young woman who coded in the hospital due to complications from pancreatitis. And she describes just being bathed in love, she says. And then she said this. She says, the best way to put it is this. I was home, she said. I was home. And then another story, Don Piper, while his physical body lay clinically dead for 90 minutes here on earth, he says this. He says, I never, ever felt more alive than I did then in this other realm. And he says, I was home. I was where I belonged. Our earthly bodies, you know, they do not go with us when we leave this earth because heaven is a home for spiritual beings. But here's the thing. Even though we all come from the creator and we're made in his image and so we're therefore spiritual beings, the big question is this, though. Are we spiritually alive or are we spiritually dead? Because we're all one or the other. The Apostle Paul explains this to some Ephesians in his letter. I missed an H there, didn't it? The Ephesians. He said it to the Ephesians. That was my fault, too. I did that. In the past, you were spiritually dead. There he says it, spiritually dead. What's he talking about? How are you spiritually dead? Because of your disobedience and sins. Well, what do you mean by disobedience and sins? What are you talking about? He says, at that time, you followed the world's evil way. You obeyed the ruler of the spiritual power, powers in space. He's talking about Satan. 
the spirit who now controls the people who disobey God. He goes on. And he says, actually, all of us were like them and lived according to our natural desires, doing whatever suited the wishes for our own bodies, physicality, and our minds. We're spiritually dead when we live apart from Christ because we don't trust him. It's as simple as that. We are spiritually dead because we're doing life our own way. Our focus is this physical part of life, and so we are driven by two things. Pastor Randy says it all the time, self-preservation and self-gratification. That's what drives you when you're focused on living in the physical realm, and we're spiritually dead in that condition. We're dead to the relationship with our creator that we're all made for. And therefore, we're dead to our truest selves, our real identity, who we really are. We are dead to our meaning and our purpose in this life. We are dead to ever understanding and experiencing life and love the way God, our creator, has intended for human, human beings. Just dead to all of that. But the wonderful news is that we don't have to remain in this condition you see, Paul goes on in Ephesians to say, the very next verse says this, but God's mercy is so abundant, his mercy, his love is so abundant, and his love is so great that while we were spiritually dead in our disobedience, he brought us to life with Christ. When did he do this? How is it? We're dead but then he brings us to life. How is it that very moment that you and I make that decision to put our faith in Christ and follow him? That instant, we are made spiritually alive when we begin to trust him, when we choose to trust him. We are awakened at that moment to the truth about God and the truth about life, and then we begin this process now of discovering our true identity, who we've were created to be and the meaning and the purpose that God has given our lives. We have a brand new perspective, a whole new perspective on life because it's all found in Christ. Our identity, our meaning, our purpose. That's some really good news, isn't it? We don't have to be spiritually dead and we can go to spiritually alive in an instant the moment we make that decision. So that's great news, but I got another but but there's more to all this than just spiritual life and spiritual death. You see, there's this, this other question that we got to ask. Even if I'm spiritually alive, the question I got to ask is, am I spiritually healthy? Because we can be alive, but not healthy, right? Now, I'm not asking if the spiritual side of your life is healthy because it is impossible. It is impossible to have a healthy spiritual life but other areas of our lives to not be healthy. You see, if my relationships are not healthy, I am not spiritually healthy. If my finances are not healthy, I am not spiritually healthy. I cannot kid myself. Why? Because I'm a spiritual being and all of life is spiritual. I cannot compartmentalize my life as hard as I try or think that I can. I'm only deceiving myself. And that's why I say you and I, we need a new New Year's resolution. We need a new one. We need the resolution of all resolutions. <laughs> this one's this going to be for the rest of our lives. Only one resolution you need for the rest of your life. And this is one that comes directly from Christ our creator. His very words. 
We find this in the book of, um, or the letter that the apostle Peter wrote, first letter he wrote, first Peter. And let me just explain, he's speaking to New Testament believers at that time, and, and he's talking to them, but he goes back and he says, a thousand years ago, God said this to his people in Israel, his Old Testament people. He said these words, but, but he's saying them to you today too, he was saying to those people. And now we're 2,000 years about after that time, and God is still speaking these words to us. So what are these words that Peter reminds us? He says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, here he's quoting from the Old Testament, Leviticus, be holy because I am holy. Holy, 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 we sang. The resolution of all resolutions, the only one you need for the rest of your life is be holy. Be holy. What? <laughs> if, if, if there was ever a resolution I was going to fail at, I'm pretty sure it's that one, right? Come on, Kim, you got to be kidding me. Be holy, that just is crazy. You know, hang on. Hang on, Let, let's all just, let's take a deep breath and let's calm down, you know, because you were tracking with me up until then, right? And you're like, oh, you got to be kidding me now. I'm out of here. But let's give this a chance. Let's kind of unpack and at least consider this resolution of all resolutions. And let's start actually with the second part of what Peter was quoting that God said. The part that said, because I am holy. So let's kind of unpack that a little bit. You know, God is holy. Again, we sang about that earlier. And I think that's probably, it's one of the most difficult parts of his character to actually really comprehend and, and definitely to explain. But holy is this idea of his distinguished difference from his creation. It's his otherness, his separateness, his, his absolute perfection. Simply put, there's none like him. No one like him in the universe. He's the almighty creator He's the most intelligent and powerful being in all the universe, yet he is completely and utterly unselfish. That's amazing when you really think about that. His almighty power is always governed by his amazing, selfless, and sacrificial love as demonstrated ultimately for us on the cross. There is none like him. He is holy. And this beautiful, holy one, he says to us, he says to you, and he says to me today, be holy. Be holy because I am holy. Well, how? how? I mean, how is that even possible? It doesn't make sense, does it? Well, for us, to be holy means this. It means to be set apart. And you see, God wanted his people in the Old Testament, Israel, he wanted them to be set apart from the other nations. He wanted them to be distinct and to live differently from all the other nations and their evil ways so that he could reveal himself through them. They were meant to be his revelatory people that through th their holy living, God's good and glorious character would be revealed for all to see, to come to know. And now when we come to the New Testament, over 20 times believers, and it's everyday, ordinary believers, anyone who's just put their trust in Christ, 
we are referred to as God's holy people. So holy for us is about basically being wholly devoted to the Holy One. Wholly devoted to the Holy One. It's about desiring to live like he lives and love like he loves. That's what Pastor Randy says that all the time. Live like he lives and love like he loves. Wholly devoted to him. Listen to these words, how the Apostle Paul explains it in a letter to his, the believers in Rome. He says, beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? You know, catch that. We need to respond. We need, God is marvelous in his mercy toward us, his love and his grace. So what's our response then? To surrender yourselves to God, to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart for this becomes, I love this, your genuine expression of worship. Worship. When we're devoted to the Holy One, we choose to be living sacrifices. And what that means is that we die to our own selfish desires to live for ourselves, to live our way, self-preservation and self-gratification. And instead, we choose to live for God, following His good ways. That is holy living. And that is true worship. Holy devoted to the Holy One. And all of life, not just one little compartment that I keep separate. So think about this. Let's just do a little bit of mental reasoning here. Okay, so for me to be holy, it means I'm devoted to the Holy One, all right? So, well, how am I devoted to Him? I'm devoted to His good and loving ways. I'm going to live those out. Well, His ways, because they're good and loving, that means that they are for my highest well-being. Anything God says is for my good, my highest well-being. Well, if it's for my highest well-being, that means it makes me healthy. My highest well-being is my healthy self. So therefore, to be holy is to be healthy. To be holy is to be a healthy human being. It's that simple. A healthy human being living the way that I've been designed to live and experiencing my best life possible. The life that Jesus, the life that Jesus calls life to the full. In John's gospel, it's recorded that Jesus said these words. He says, the thief, he comes only to steal and to kill and destroy but I, Jesus, I have come that they, that you, that me may have life. But not just life, life to the full, a full life. You see, Satan, he's the thief, all right? And his desire is to basically convince you and I that this idea of being holy, that it's some, just some kind of religious nonsense, you know? It, it's just for the holier than thou folks, it's restrictive, it's gonna make my life miserable or boring, I won't have fun anymore, it's just stupid. And besides, it's just plain impossible. Come on, I'm a human being, I'm sinful, I live in a fallen world, what can you expect, me to be holy? That's just crazy. 
And if he can, can convince you and I of that, then he can steal and kill and destroy the life that God wants for you, the life he wants for me, by keeping both of us in an unhealthy and self-destructive state of being and living. Self-destructive. Just reaping the consequences over and over, year after year. Unhealthy, self-destructive living. And that's right where he wants to keep you and I. Years ago, Pastor Randy, he developed a, a core teaching for us here at FCF. We call it the five C's, and you learn about it in the Discover FCF class that we teach. And um, it's basically these five irreducible minimums for someone if they're going to be a healthy follower of Christ. And it's five irreducible minimums for a church to be healthy and growing. Think of it this way. We all, there's five irreducible minimums that are critical to our physical health and survival even, right? We need to breathe, we need to eat, we need to drink, we need to sleep, and we need to move. Can't take any of those away and be a healthy human being, even a living human being. So, but these only speak to our physical being. So we know now that we're spiritual beings made in the image of our creator, so there are also these five irreducible minimums for remaining truly healthy and alive which are the basis for being holy because a healthy follower is a holy follower they're one and the same but before we get into these I'm going to just kind of briefly go through these but, but I got to warn you of something so to those who are not spiritually alive these five C's they're going to seem odd you know People we know, they might even think we're a little crazy for, for living this way. Just like the man um, that moved into my mammal's neighborhood when I was a kid. You want to hear about the man that moved into my... Okay, well, I'm about to tell you a dog story, and so I figured this was my chance, a good place to insert a picture of my new dog. This is Leafy! Isn't she precious? She's a sweetheart. She's a, a, a rescue dog, came out of a shelter in South Carolina. She's uh, three years old and about 15 pounds, and I just did the DNA. I'm waiting on the results, so I'll let you know. Okay, so back to my story. Anyhow, I just wanted to show you a picture of my dog because that's, that's what I do. So there was this man and his wife. Uh, they had retired, and so they moved to a small town, West Virginia, my hometown, and uh, they'd moved from, like, some big city somewhere up north. I don't know if it was New York or where. But this city guy, I'm telling you, he just seemed a bit strange to us. He had this ritual that he did a couple of times a day. He would walk his dog down the lane by my grandma's house on a leash, I, it was bizarre to me. Me and all my cousins and all, we had dogs, and they just ran at will outside. When I, this leash thing, I didn't understand it, so that was odd. But then this one day, I'm looking out the window, and I saw the most bizarre thing. When his dog pooped in my mammal's yard, he bent down with his plastic bag, and he picked it up, and he tied it, and he carried it home. And literally, I am not kidding, I turned to my grandmother, my mammal, and I said, mammal, what's he doing? And my mammal, she went like this, she went, he ain't right. <laughs> that is a true story. So to some 
some small town West Virginians at that time walking your dog on a leash and then cleaning up its poop, it seemed like a very strange thing to do. I eventually learned what seemed so strange was actually a very healthy thing to do, a very sensible, a very good, a very kind, a very sane thing to do. I do it three times a day now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Perspective. Turn it around. The holy life. It's very different from the way most people live life today. People living apart from Christ their creator. We just kind of look strange, even ridiculous to them at times. So sometimes we might get ridiculed for these differences. And, and even today in our world, we'll often receive aggressive comments, whether it's verbal or online or whatever, about our beliefs and our practices. So the holy life, it is not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. So with that said, what I want to do is I want to briefly, briefly go through these five C's. I'm just touching on them. There's so much more. They could each be a message in themselves. But let's start here. When it comes to relationships, we are all about connecting with Christ through community. Okay? Let me just touch on that. This is so incredibly important to us. You see, we don't just attend church. We are the church. And so we connect at this very, very deep level. The Apostle Paul said this. He says, Christ is the head of the church. And then he says this, which is his body. His body. And then he says, now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. You know, each of us, we have one body but our body has all these different members, right? We, we've got hands, we've got eyes, we've got all these internal organs that all are connected deeply because they function together, they work together for me to live my life. So it is with Christ. He has one body, his church, and all of us, we're the members of this body. We're the hands, the feet, the eyes. So church isn't just this place we show up to on a Sunday morning for a service. Church is where we participate and we function and we relate and we connect at a very deep level, knowing that as we connect with one another, we are connecting to Christ because we are his body. Amen. Thank you. I love it when he's here. It's awesome. All right, so I got another one here. Um, when it comes to our bodies and our health, we think a little differently. You see, we... We're more concerned about the inside than the outside. So we want to cultivate Christ-like character growth within ourselves. You see, more important than losing 10 pounds of body weight, it's losing the weight of things like jealousy and envy and bitterness and anger and a critical spirit, all these character qualities. I want to get rid of those. That's what I want to lose. We long so much for the image of Christ, our creator, his character to be restored in us because we want to be like him. Now, I got to bring up something really uncomfortable. Something I prayed about a lot in preparing this message. And you see, I don't think it's possible. I don't think it's possible to talk about being holy and not bring up the topic of sexual morality. It's just not possible. Sex is far more than just some physical activity, although that's exactly what Satan has duped masses of human beings into believing. 
And because sex is far more than just a physical activity, our loving God has put boundaries around it, and the boundaries are to keep us safe. It's not about making sure we don't have fun. It's to keep us safe, safe physically, safe relationally, safe mentally and emotionally. So there's boundaries. Those boundaries are marriage between a husband and a wife. So why is it then? When it comes to this issue of sex, studies reveal that the practices and beliefs even of many Christians are just not that different from non-Christians. Sexual immorality and brokenness run rampant among Christians. Most Christian singles see absolutely nothing wrong with having sex, whether it's in a dating relationship or even a hookup. It's my body. I do with it whatever I want. And we have all kinds of ways to rationalize that and justify that and minimize that. And then there's pornography. Something that used to be this secret thing it has been completely normalized and made easily accessible in our world today. And because of technology and the internet, children, children are being exposed to pornography at younger and younger ages. I heard one time it was the average age was eight. And the parents rarely even know about it. If it's so normal and it's harmless, why did the secular singer Billie Eilish recently open up to Howard Stern, of all people, about her words, the trauma, the trauma she's experienced by watching porn starting at age 11? And her words were this, it destroyed my brain. If it's so normal and harmless, why is there this non-religious, they make it a point that there are non-religious, non-political, non-profit websites called Fight the New Drug. And it was created by people who simply want to expose how porn damages the brain, the heart, and our world. It's full of these facts, articles, videos, and testimonies. I encourage every single one of us to go on, check this out, and just get informed. Get informed. And for those seeking help, you want help, this website points you here to joinfortified.com where they offer help in overcoming this issue. And then I'm also adding one I'm familiar with uh, from some folks, Setting Captives Free. So this is Christian-based here. But they offer help as well. Folks, we cannot be a holy and healthy people and buy into the world's ideas about sex. We just can't. That's why Apostle Paul says this. He says, run, 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 Forrest, run, run from sexual sin. Well, why? You know, this word isn't used for many other sins, but it's used here. Why? He says, no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Well, how is that? What do you mean, against my own body? He explains. Is there another slide? Here we go. He says, don't you realize that your, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? We are indwelt 
by the Holy Spirit when we come to trust in Christ who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself because the Holy Spirit is with you. For God bought you at a high price, so you must do what? Honor God with your body. Honor him. And then Peter, in that letter he wrote, he says this, keep away from all the sinful desires of the flesh. These things do what? They fight to get hold of your soul. Your soul. It is far more than a physical activity just affecting only our physical bodies because we are spiritual beings and all, all of life is spiritual. I warned you that was going to be uncomfortable, right? But absolutely necessary. Thank you. Absolutely necessary if we're going to be serious about being the holy and healthy people that God has created us to be, that he wants for us, not from us, but he wants for us because it will bring life to the full. I'll move on now, all right? So when it comes to jobs and careers, something that's even more important to us is caring for people through serving, serving Christ as our creator himself. He said that he came to serve people. He's the most powerful, most intelligent being in all the universe, and yet he serves, and we're made in his image. So if he came to serve, then that's what I want to do. I want to serve like Jesus serves because I'm made in his image. I recently uh, talked with a young woman from our church. She's 27 years old, cachet. She's, she has an amazing job, and she makes really good money, all right? But she talked to me about how basically this job, it provides for her a good living and all, but, but it's... It's serving that gives her life. You could just see it in her eyes and hear it in her voice. She is so enthusiastic about the opportunities to serve here at FCF Church, and she is jumping in big time. One of the areas where she serves is our Ignite program. It's where it's for our second and fifth graders. So I'm just saying she would love to have you come join the team, and you would love to work with Cache. Just saying a little side note right there, okay? Serving is one of the most holy things that you and I can do. All right, and then we got this one again. Oh, it's hard to get to the bottom. Our finances, man, when it comes to the finances, we really look strange to a lot of people because we are all about contributing to the kingdom of our God and his work on this planet. You see, what, what we hold on to is what Proverbs, say, Proverbs says, we want to honor the Lord with our wealth and with the first and best of our income. Why? Because as Pastor P said, it all belongs to him. It's a gift that's been given to us. It's an entrustment to take care of and manage as he would have us manage it. So we honor him by choosing to follow the principle that he taught his people in the Old Testament. This is what he taught them. He says a tithe of everything belongs to the Lord. So we gladly and we enthusiastically give 10%. That's what tithe means, 10% of our income, if not more, back to God for his good work on this earth out of what he has entrusted to us. It's the holy and the healthy thing to do. You'll never be more healthier. And finally, then we got this social life thing going and, uh, and we just kind of look at this with a little bit of a different perspective. We look at it as the opportunity to communicate the message of Christ. 
You see, we look for, and we look for, and we pray for these opportunities where we can tell the good news, because that's what Jesus said. He says, go and tell the good news to everyone just before he ascended back to heaven after his resurrection. So we just look for these opportunities to simply share our stories with people. We, we want to tell them. The way you want to tell somebody about a great movie you just watched or a series on Netflix or a restaurant, we want to tell them what God is doing in our lives, what he has done. And then we even look for opportunities to invite others to discover Christ and his love for themselves. A simple invite to church is a very holy act for us. So there they are, the five C's. It's the be holy basics. Strange practices to those who live apart from Christ, their creator, but the best and healthiest life possible for those of us who trust Christ. And we want to be holy as he is holy. Here's the thing, though. There's always a thing, right? Here's the thing. You'll never be convinced that this will lead to your best life until you try it. So I say, try it. You like it. Came to this little place, waiter says, try this, you like it. What's this? Try it, you like it. But what is try it, you like it? So I tried it. Thought I was gonna die. Took two Alka-Seltzer. Alka-Seltzer neutralizes all the acid your stomach has churned out. For your upset stomach and headache, take Alka-Seltzer and feel better fast. Alka-Seltzer works. Try it, you like it. Who re 1972, anybody remember that? <laughs> you know, that's funny, but all our lives, the thief who comes to kill and steal and destroy, he's been saying, try it, you'll like it. And we've experienced a lot worse than heartburn. We know heartache and the confusion and the frustration and the anxiety and the emptiness and the brokenness and the shame and the guilt and the regret that comes from trying it the world's way over and over again. How many times have you felt like that guy? I thought I was gonna die. It's time to try something new. Try something new. The remedy for God's people is be holy because I am holy. And, and you know, the, I think the Creator promises that if we trust Him and we try it, we will like it. We will like the results that it brings. And I know I've thrown a lot at you in this message. We've talked from finances to serving to sexual immorality and like we're all over the place, right? So let's just kind of close in with two closing thoughts here. The first one being this. It's not about position. It's about direction. It's not about where you are right now, but it's about where you're headed, where I'm headed. So, so my prayer has been, and it's gonna continue to be this week, that we'll all just, that we've heard the whisper of the Holy Spirit. If we haven't heard it yet, that we'll listen for it. And we'll listen to that whisper that says, here's where you need that course correction. Let's get on a new path and head on a new direction. And as you hear that whisper, you'll say, yes, Lord. 
yes, Lord, and you'll follow. Wherever it is, he's speaking to you personally. And then this, here's where it all comes down to, really. This is a whole message in itself, too. The only way to pursue the holy life is to pursue the holy one. We can't have a holy life if we're not pursuing the Holy One. We just end up religious and legalistic. So again, my prayer in 2022, I pray so much that each one of us, we passionately pursue the Holy One. And we do that by going to His Word, His Holy Word. And we listen with ears wide open and a heart wide open so that we seek to meet Him there personally And then we seek to embrace and follow his good and loving ways, his holy ways. Not just this year, but every year for the rest of our lives, because this is the resolution of all resolutions. Be holy, because I am holy. Let's pray together, church. Lord God, I know I know because you are a good God. You are speaking very personally to every single person here. And I know you're doing that out of love, out of your love, your great love and your great abundant mercy. So Lord, I pray for all of us that as we hear you speaking, we respond. We respond to your mercy and your love and we respond simply by saying, God, I'm gonna trust you and I'm going to follow you. Lord, may we be those who no longer see life in these various compartments, but we see it for what it is. It's all spiritual, and we want to honor you with every single part of our lives. May we be people longing to be holy as you, our God, are holy. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.